You are our peace. You are our hope. You are our strength. You are everything that we need, Lord, and nothing is going to define us. Nothing is going to define us except you because you created us in your image. You created us, Lord, and you want us to bring you glory and you want us to fellowship with you and trust you and depend on you and to acknowledge your sufficiency. We thank you, God, that you are enough. You have at no point ever not been enough. Even when others may tell us we're not enough, Lord, you, Lord, are enough. And our identity comes from you. And we thank you, Father, that you have loved us so much. We thank you that you've loved us so much that you've created a way where there was no way. You've created a pathway, the only pathway to be reconnected to you through the obedience of Jesus Christ, through the love of God shown through Jesus Christ, your one and only begotten Son, we thank you that now we have new life. And we honor you today, Lord. We glorify you today. We thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. We thank you for what you're doing in our midst. Lord, and fear is not our future. You are, Lord. You are our hope. And you are more than enough. You are more than enough. Isn't he more than enough today, church? Amen. 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 You can be seated this morning. Our God is more than enough. You know, identity is a big question today in our society. For all of us to be confident in our identity, we must know who we are. We must know whose we are. That's what we've been singing about this morning. And for the Christ follower, our identity, your identity, my identity... It comes from Christ. It shouldn't come from anything else. It shouldn't come from how much money I make. It shouldn't come from what my social status is. It shouldn't come from what my title is in the company or how many degrees I have behind my name and my education or doesn't matter. That shouldn't create my identity. No more than the struggles I've had. No more than the sickness I've experienced. No more than the addiction that maybe you've wrestled with. That's not where the Christian gets their identity. It's not, oh, that person's a fill-in-the-blank, or, oh, that person is a fill-in-the-blank, good or bad. Our identity comes from Christ and Christ alone. That's what we must realize. Our value comes from Christ and Christ alone. It's as if the world wants to assign value to you according to its standards, but God assigned value to each and every person by sending his only begotten son, amen? And so it's almost like he's just going through assigning value and saying you're loved, you are loved, you are valuable. And there's no difference. There's not like there's these Christians that have gold stars beside their names because they're pastors or because they may be in positions of leadership or influence or how many books they've written or what type of crowd they attract or because of the good deeds that they've done and we've got all these gold stars beside our name and oh they're a really good Christian they're a five-star rated Christian Google has reviewed their Christianity and God loves them more than others who haven't done quite as much that's not how it works with God, folks. That's human standards. We're always wanting to put everybody in classes and categories and say, you're this and you're that and you're more valuable because you have or don't have this or have done or haven't done this or have accomplished or haven't accomplished this. 
That's the world's standard, but that's not God's standard. God's standard is Jesus Christ. And he has given us his son to show us his love so that we can see how great is our God and our identity now, my life, my, my, my values, my obedience, my service. It all comes now as a response. It's now worship to God. That's the life we live. That's the life that the Apostle Paul was calling the church to live in the book of Romans, chapter 12, where he says, I'm begging you, I'm beseeching you, brothers, on behalf of the mercies of God to present your life, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And he says this next. He says, this is your reasonable act of worship. That's what he says in Romans 12, 1. This is your reasonable act of worship. So therefore... Don't conform any longer to this world and the patterns of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind. In other words, you're going to have to change the way you think because you're not thinking in categories and classifications anymore. You need to now have the mind of Christ, the value system of heaven, the kingdom mindset that now sees people differently, sees people through the lens of love, sees people through the lens of the gospel, sees people the way that God saw us when he reached into our lives and grabbed a hold of our hardened hearts. And melted our hearts and made them that soft, soft, pliable heart that is his, that belongs to him. And so we got to understand this. we got to grow. And as a church, we must embrace who we are and we must embrace whose we are and also what we're called to do. So let's go over to Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bible this morning. Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at the calling of Jesus' first disciples here, and then we're going to jump a little further ahead. So, but we're starting in Matthew 4 and verse 18. Matthew 4 and verse 18. I hear a lot of pages turning, so I, I like that sound. That's like music to a pastor's ears. And if I could hear like thumbs swiping and scrolling, that, you know, as long as it's in the Bible, if you're not like checking your email or, you know, like trying to like Get your best score on Angry Birds or whatever. If, if people, do people still play Angry Birds? I don't know. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. It's funny when you're dating yourself by an app. Okay, anyways, I'll get back to the text, all right. Because some people are like, I don't play that. Matthew four eighteen. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And immediately they left the boat and their father, this is interesting, and their father, and followed him. Jesus calls his first disciples. And they get so excited to follow him because they're now being accepted by a teacher, a rabbi. This is the first calling of the disciples. I want you to understand something. You can find this story in the Jewish Talmud, which will tell you a little bit about Jewish history and some of the practices of their day. And what would happen in their day and in their culture during that time is that the people that wanted to be 
accepted by a rabbi and follow the rabbi's teaching, the rabbi would have to choose them. And normally this was right after their bar mitzvah. So this is going to be somewhere around 12, 13 years old. A young Jewish kid would want to be accepted by a rabbi to have this high honor of being someone who learned the Torah, who learned the scripture, and who could eventually teach the Torah, who could teach the Hebrew scriptures and the prophets and all of those things that uh, they were longing to teach. Because up until their bar mitzvah, they had been learning and memorizing scripture. And every Hebrew, every Jewish child that uh, comes of age would have known the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and would have them memorized by heart. Now, you want to challenge yourself, go try to memorize the first five books um, of the Bible, like literally, verbatim. That's what they would do, and all these kids knew this. And when you would have a rabbi that you were like, man, I really want to sit under this teacher. Maybe it was a teacher in your local synagogue. Maybe it was someone that you just aspired to be like. You wanted to emulate their, their walk and how they followed God and how they interpreted the, the law and the scripture. And you would go up to them after you had had your bar mitzvah and you would want to talk to them and you would say, rabbi, teacher, will you accept me? I want to, I want to learn from you. And if the rabbi would accept you, then you would follow the rabbi. And he would say, come follow me. And he would say, come follow me. Now you literally were following him. And you would consider it an honor to be covered even in the dust of your rabbi. That he would kick up from walking. You would walk a certain amount of paces behind him. And you would follow his teachings. You would learn how he interpreted the, 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 the law. And you would learn how he interpreted the scriptures. And you were trying to you know, be that person's disciple and if he didn't accept you, here's what he would say. He would look at you and he would say, I'm, I, you, you can't follow me. I'm not accepting you as my pupil, as my Padawan. And instead, you go to your father's trade and do that because I'm, you can't follow me. And so where do we find Peter? Where do we find James? Where do we find John when Jesus first is interacting with them? They're fishing, but they're not just fishing with anybody. Fishing with their dad. And we see that they're in the family business. Could it be, could it be that these young men had aspired to be teachers and somebody told them, uh, you didn't make the cut, you didn't make the team. Go fishing with dad. Go into your father's trade. Go into the family business. And that's where we find them. Because isn't it an interesting fact that we, Jesus doesn't make any promises to them. Jesus doesn't like really even sell it really well. All he does is go up to them while they're mending their nets. He looks at them and he says, hey, come follow me. Sounds kind of creepy. It's like this was before Stranger Danger too, you know, like a neighborhood watch. But he, Jesus just comes up to them and says, come follow me. And, and, they, and the scripture doesn't say they had a conversation about it. It doesn't say they asked a bunch of questions. You know, what's the benefit? What's the pay? What's it going to look like? Where are we going to sleep? What are we going to eat? You know, what, what are we getting ourselves into? No, it says they immediately left their nets and went to follow him. And so they see this teacher, this rabbi. Someone else said you weren't good enough. And now here Jesus comes along and he says, I'm choosing you. I'm choosing you, and I want you to come follow me. And Jesus doesn't even tell them what we're going to do other than I'm going to make you fishers of men. Okay. He doesn't even like qualify that statement. They just said yes, and they followed Jesus. Because what Jesus calls us to do, it informs our identity. This calling that Jesus 
called them to, to be fishers of men. He says, I will make you fishers of men. This is something that is going to happen. I will make you fishers of men. He's calling them into this place that is informing their identity, what they're supposed to do. Jesus didn't say, come follow me and you'll learn a new skill set, perhaps a new you know, occupation that you may want to pursue. Jesus didn't say that. He said, come follow me and I will make you, or rather you will become, as a result of following me, fishers of men. There's going to be something happen. There's going to be a mindset shift. There's going to be a priority shift that comes from following me. You should be expecting change. You should be expecting transformation. You should be expecting something different. One of our core values at BCC is that transformation is our pursuit. We are pursuing transformation because God has changed us and he is changing us, right? Amen? I mean, this whole idea of salvation, this whole idea of growing in Christ-likeness, I like to use this illustration because it makes a lot of sense, because it's something we can kind of sink our teeth into a little bit. It's kind of like owning a home. If you've ever bought a home and you've gone through that process, you own the home, but also you're growing in owning the home while you own the home, right? Because you bought the home, you took out a mortgage, but guess what? You are responsible for the home because you are a homeowner. If you fill out a credit application, you will say, I am a homeowner, but you still have a mortgage because you're still paying on the home. Thus, you are in the process of owning the home because one day you will own the home. But at no point in that process did you ever stop being a homeowner, homeowner or owning the home. This is how it works in salvation. I am justified. I am made righteous in the eyes of God. Do I still struggle? Do I still sin? Do I still mess up? Absolutely I do. But that doesn't make me not a believer, not a follower of Jesus. I'm still a follower of Christ, but I'm also growing and learning as I'm repenting, as I'm being sanctified, as I'm being transformed, as I'm being saved. So I am saved. I'm being saved. And guess what? One day I'm also going to be saved. But at no point in this process did I ever stop having that communication, that communion, that fellowship with God. I'm just growing in that. And so this is kind of how this process works. And so as, as Jesus is, is, is helping these men to see who he's calling them to be, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow me. Being fishers of men is part of our identity. It's part of our call from Jesus because Jesus didn't only call those disciples there in that moment and in that time, but he calls all of those who would follow after him and who would learn from him because we're learning the very heartbeat of heaven. We're learning the value system of heaven. We're learning what is really important to God. When we look at Jesus, you want to know what's important to heaven? Look at Jesus. Jesus came to preach and teach the kingdom of God. He came to preach and teach, repent, The kingdom of God's at hand. In other words, turn from your former life, turn from your former value system, and embrace this new value system that I'm showing you because this is the one that not only matters now, but it matters in eternity. Jesus is giving us a picture, a snapshot of eternity, and he's helping us to see that by the way he interacts with people, the things he teaches, the things he says, the things he likes, the things he doesn't like, and the things that he even brings some criticism and exposes that's actually not him, that people who thought they were following God actually says, you're getting it wrong over here. He shows us all of that, not because he's wanting to bring shame, but because he's wanting to bring clarity. That's what calling does. It brings clarity as we follow Jesus. And so now, I don't know what it means to be fisher of men, but the longer I follow Jesus, the clearer it gets. Every time that God may stir something in our hearts, we may not immediately know what that thing is fully going to look like. 
We may have an idea. We may have an imagination about how it could go, should go, what we would, how we'd like for it to go, like our preferences. But as we go along in the journey, God begins to bring clarity step by step by step. And it doesn't mean that the steps we made before were bad. It's all part of the process. All the stuff we did before was necessary to get us to where we are now. You see, the way we trust God, the way we view God, the things that he's deposited in us, the things he's shown us about himself, the way we've learned how to serve him and how to live for his glory and his glory alone, it helps us to grow in trust and in faith and in Christ-likeness. I'm getting clearer and clearer. I'm getting my conviction of who he is clearer and clearer and more solidified in my life as I follow him. And that's how it works with my identity, and that informs my calling. That informs this whole concept of being fishers of men. Because if you ask the disciples, what does it mean to be fishers of men? When he first called them, they go, hmm. But if you ask them three years later, what does it mean to be fishers of men? I bet their answer would be much different. They'd have more clarity. And then if you ask them again, after the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born, and then they began to serve, and they began to share the gospel and experience persecution and all the things Jesus talked about, they began to understand more about the gifts the Spirit had given them. They began to understand how to use those things in a God-honoring and glorifying way. And now the gospel is being spread. People are being discipled. You ask them at that point, as now they're old men, not young men fishing with dad. Now they're old guys, and, and dad's passed away, and they're not fishing anymore. They're actually fishing for men. You ask them, hey, Peter, what does it mean to be a fisher of men? He would have a much clearer, much different, more convicted answer because he's been from step to step to step to step. Even all the missteps along the way are still part of that story that God can use for his glory. Amen? Jesus didn't tell the disciples how, but rather he began to bring them in closer and he began to show them how the Father's heart works by explaining and demonstrating the kingdom of heaven. And here's our big idea for today. Jesus, the, the closer aligned that we are to the heart of God, the more he helps us see who we are. The closer aligned we are to the heart of God, the more he helps us see who we are. Because there's so many things in this world that are trying to speak to the identity and to the value of us as people. And it is trying to distort the creation of God, trying to distort his handiwork, trying to distort the way that God wants us to view ourselves, the way that he wants us to see ourselves in his image, in his likeness, so that we can follow him and glorify him with our lives, trust in him more. Depend on him, acknowledge and confess our weakness and our inabilities, and then trust in him because he is our strength. To trust in him to be sufficient when we run out of options because we should have been trusting him in the beginning, but sometimes it takes running out of options in our lives for us to finally get to that place where we trust in him, right? Amen, oh me, I don't know. I've been there, you've been there, right? I run out of options and then finally I pray. I, I run out of options, I, well, I guess I should pray. Well, I probably should have been praying all along, but sometimes we don't pray, you know, or we go, man, I don't know what else to do. And then we kind of look at each other and we go, I guess we could pray, <laughs> you know, as to where the kingdom of God is like backwards from that, right? Kingdom of God is saying, no, trust me now. Trust me now when you feel like everything's good. Deepen that dependence now, not just when it seems everything is out of control, because we live in this illusion that all these things are under control when they're going well. No, 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 no. We need to continually trust in him during the highs and the lows. Amen. 
This isn't just uh, Jesus is in my back pocket when I need him, you know. And I just pull him out when it's uh, some kind of crisis, you know. And I need him to, you know, magically get me out of it. <laughs> That's not how it works. It's not fairy dust or pixie dust. This is a relationship. This is real stuff, amen? It's not just us asking God to be some sort of fairy or genie or Santa Claus figure. This is a relationship where we're walking with him daily. We're deepening our dependence. And as we deepen our dependence, what he's created and called and gifted us to do gets clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer. And sometimes some of the things that we go through to get there aren't very fun. But it's all part of that process. And he wants us to trust him and know that he's sufficient and he's enough even during those times. Amen? The closer aligned we are to the heart of God, the more he helps us see who we are. Let's go over to John chapter 21. We're going to fast forward a little bit in the story of the disciples. And we read this a couple of weeks ago, but it's worth reading again. You know, if you come to church here long enough, we're going to read some of the same scriptures over and over again, uh, just so you know. (laughs) That was a dumb thing to say. All right. So... (laughs) Some people, you know, I don't know, in my mind anyway, some people be like, you know, oh, didn't we just read that? Yeah. And we'll probably read it again at some point. All right, John chapter 21, John chapter 21 and verse 15. Okay, so, so this is after Christ has already died on the cross and he's, he's resurrected. And here Peter, you know what he says he wants to do um, after Christ is, uh, has already died and been buried? You know what he, he said he wanted to do? He wanted to go fishing. I want to go fishing. Because sometimes don't we do that? Don't we go back to what's comfortable, what's familiar, where we were before? Jesus said, I didn't call you to be a fisherman of fish. I called you to be a fisher of men. And he wanted to go back to just fishing for fish. Because it was comfortable. It was easy. It's what I know. Um, I just want to go back there. Because, man, this this was just, they saw the, the, the horrific images that are probably burned into their mind. They heard the screams. They saw how badly he was beaten. That they, they had to look at it and go, oh man, there's just no way. That was just too horrific. That was too gruesome. That was just too awful. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to go fishing. That's what Peter resolved to do. And when he goes fishing, he goes out there, and they're out there fishing, and Peter looks towards the shore, and he sees somebody cooking breakfast, and it's Jesus. And, they, and Peter freaks out. He runs. He jumps out of the boat. And he just runs in the water, and he's just like trudging through the water to get to Jesus. He's just so overwhelmed that's Jesus, and he runs over to the shore. And, and then they have a meal together, and this is kind of the aftermath after that meal. John 21, verse 15 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you, you know I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another's going to dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was going to die to glorify God. And after Jesus was through saying these things, he looks at Peter. 
Isn't this interesting? And what does he say to him? He says, follow me. The same thing he said back in the beginning when he was in the fishing boat. Same thing he said before all this stuff took place. Three and a half years of miracles, teachings, three and a half years of getting to witness the impossible being possible. Three and a half years of hearing from the one who has spoken life. And now he's standing there in front of him and he's asking him yet again and inviting him. He's saying, you're going to go down a path that's going to be difficult for my sake. And he's saying, hey, you remember that fisher of men thing? Remember what we talked about over three years ago? Hey, I'm still calling you. I'm just clarifying it just a little bit more because now you understand a little bit more of the weight of it. And I'm telling you a little bit more of the weight of it. I'm telling you a little bit more of the cost of it. I'm telling you a little bit more of how this is going to go. And now that I've told you a little bit more of what you're to do, I'm inviting you once again, Peter, to come follow me. Isn't this interesting that Jesus clarifies Peter's calling of being a fisher of men, but he takes it deeper. He's not only just calling him to be a fisher of men now, now he's telling him what it's going to take. What is it going to take? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep and love me. That's what it's going to take. Love me and feed them. Take care of them. He, he talks about the young ones, the lambs, right? And then he talks about the sheep, you know, the more mature ones. He's saying all of them. If you care, feed them. If you love me, if you love me more than fishing, do you love me more than this career? Do you love me more than, you know, all the, the, the luxury maybe that it's bought you or the life that it's afforded you? Do you love it more? Do you love me more? If you do, then spend your life focusing on loving me and remembering you love me and being obedient to go out and feed my sheep and feed my lambs. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 28 and let's read the Great Commission. This should be something that anyone who attends BCC for a little while should know because we say it at the end of every service and we talk about it all the time. Matthew 28 and verse 18. This is another sending out of Jesus, another clarification Matthew 28 and 18 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. But when Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus sends out the disciples after he brought them in close. He imparted the kingdom to them. He imparted the values of the kingdom to them. They experienced and they learned the heart of God. And he's saying, okay, guys, now go. It's time for you to go into all the world and make disciples. But then you could say, oh, my gosh, but Jesus, where are you going? He ascends to heaven. Oh, he says, don't worry about that. Let's flip over to Acts. Acts chapter 1. He doesn't say you got to go out there by yourself. Whoo. He didn't say this is contingent upon you and how great you are. Fool, praise the Lord for that. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. This is what Jesus says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gave us the promise of the Holy Spirit. And he says, listen, the Holy Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit in you is going to help bring uh, strength and exhortation to the body of Christ, but it's also going to empower you to be witnesses all over the world. 
So it's not even contingent upon you because where God calls, he equips. And where God equips and where he sends us, he empowers us to do that. It takes us trusting in him. Man, we need the spirit working in us and through that because God is not depending on us in ourselves. He's actually given us what we need. He's filled us with his spirit. And now that we have his spirit, he's given us gifts to be used to glorify God, to edify, to build up the body of Christ, and to be able to share the word of God boldly. One of the things you continually see in the book of Acts, if you go through and read it, there are numerous points where people were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went out and they spoke the word of God with a boldness they did not possess before. It even says Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke boldly in front of the leaders of the Sanhedrin. This is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times when he was pressed in the crowd by some stranger he'd never met. And now he's boldly speaking about Jesus in front of thousands of people and the Sanhedrin and the leadership of the day. Uh, That's not the Peter I read about. (laughs) What's different? The Holy Spirit. He's now empowered with the Spirit that's given him a supernatural boldness. Why would God give Peter a supernatural boldness to communicate this? Here's the beauty of what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit in us gives glory to God and speaks of Jesus Christ and brings glory to Christ. That's what the Spirit does because God gets the glory for that, not Peter because everybody knows Peter. (laughs) Like I've been to Peter's house, right? Like, I mean, like, come on, like, brother needs to straighten up, you know, like... You know, Peter's out here addressing people, you know, like, isn't he the guy that denied Jesus? Isn't he the guy that cut off the soldier's ear when they came to arrest Jesus? And Peter's got some issues. Peter's kind of mouthy, right? And here God's using Peter. All of a sudden, when he was this guy who denied Christ, and he's speaking boldly in front of thousands of people, and 3,000 people got saved that day. Wow. That wasn't because Peter had really practiced this message. Oh, boy, I got a good sermon. I bet you thousands of people are going to get saved after hearing this one. Peter wasn't preparing for that. He didn't even go there having prepared a script or anything. He went there, and the power of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon him and worked something in him that was something that needed to happen to bring glory to God. And that's why the Holy Spirit distributes those things as he will to us, so that that way we can be used for the glory of God in our spaces where we're at. It's for his glory. It's not so people can go, that's a spiritual guy right there. Man. It's not for us to get the glory because if it brings the glory to us, then it's something we're doing in our own strength. It brings glory to God and to God alone. Amen? Amen? Jesus promises we won't be going on this journey alone because where God calls, he clarifies, he equips, and he empowers for his glory. Where he calls, he clarifies, he equips, and he empowers for his glory. And church, we must embrace who we've been. And we must embrace who God is calling us to be. And as we walk on this journey, God is bringing clarity. Step by step by step. And we thank him for what he's done. We thank him for where he's led us from. 60 years ago, today... Bettendorf Christian Church was founded. 60 years ago today, it's on the church charter. 1963, September 24th, 60 years ago to the day. And I'll tell you something, we didn't plan it that way. We picked the date for the name change launch without having known that information. 
We picked that over uh, over two years ago, and we knew that we were going to be doing this. We were praying through this as leadership. And when we picked that day, when the sermon calendar came around, we had no idea. When uh, Kristen Nading, our, uh, our office manager, she brought that information to me, she, she didn't even realize what she was bringing me. She said, hey, I thought you would like a copy of the charter and the articles of incorporation. And it said on there, September 24, 1963. I said, Kristen, do you realize what you've just handed me? I was so excited. And she was like, yeah. I said, this is the day. This is the exact day that we're doing this. I told the staff, and I told the elders, I was like, guys, do you realize? 60 years to the day, a group of people from Erie, Illinois, got called here. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't, they were just, Jesus just told them, go. <laughs> they didn't know, well, where, where's their building going to be? That, uh, where are we going to meet? How, how's it going to work out? Is anybody going to show up? They didn't know. All they knew is that God called them and they said yes. We thank those people 60 years ago for saying yes to Jesus calling them when they didn't know how it was going to work out or where it was going to go. They just called this group of people from Erie to come to start a church, to proclaim Christ in these quad cities. In in Bettendorf, they, they felt drawn, called, and God called them and they said yes. We thank God for their call. God's called many leaders, but I want to highlight God called Carl and Sharon Roberts to serve at BCC for over 30 years. Do you know that? 30 years. That's a long time to do anything, especially pastor. (laughs) The fact that they're still kicking and breathing and doing as well as they are, praise God for that. 30 years will take a toll on you. We're grateful for that. And some of you, some of you who, who are newer to BCC, you may not recognize those names or know who those two people are. But Carl and Sharon are still active members here at BCC. They still attend this church. They're still involved. They're still loving on people. They're still serving people. And God's still using them to connect with people and love on people of all ages, all generations. They're still a very active and vital part of our church family. This is another piece of clarity. God, God used that 30-year time. And then all the other times of different leaders with different pieces of clarity, different pieces of vision, where God would say, all right, now it's time to do this. Now it's time to do that. Now it's time to do this. Different groups of elders who has served to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, to see the church cared for, loved, fed, taken care of. The same thing that Jesus called Peter to do, getting a little bit more clarity. There was some clarity over on Tanglefoot Lane. Then there was some clarity over here in the property that we have. There was some clarity with some different things we've done, different missionaries, different men and women that have been sent out. Did you know that God has called a lot of people from this church to go and proclaim the gospel all over the world? People like the O family, the Custers, the Gainers, the Covers, Some of these people you know. Some of them you you have friendship, relationship with. God sent those people out of here. We thank God for them saying yes to that call. We have a rich history here at BCC of deep wells to draw from. A rich history. And many of us here, those of us that are newer to BCC, did not have a hand in digging those wells. But some of you that are here, you had a hand in digging those wells. You had a shovel in your hand. We thank God for every person 
who has had a shovel in their hand and contributed to this local congregation moving forward and expanding the kingdom of God. Because you've dug wells that, man, when, when some of us showed up, I've only been here two and a half years. Some of you that are here have only been here a few weeks. Maybe today's your first day. Some of you have only been here a year. You, you, you didn't have that shovel in your hand that, that you're getting to draw from that well that somebody else dug that well. We're digging new wells now. Amen? And those of you who have dug wells in the past, thank you for saying yes to God because you're doing it for his glory and for his kingdom and for the expansion of the kingdom of God for these cities and for all people. Amen? In February of 2024, we're going to launch something called a training center. You're going to hear more about this, and we're going to start talking about it more as we get closer to this date. We're going to use the training materials from the Timothy Initiative to invite people to be equipped in evangelism. Those who graduate from this are going to go into phase two of the training center and talk about how we can use their newfound evangelism skills to potentially launch a small church made up of new believers in a home, in an office, in a public space. We're calling these small church plants made up of new believers bridge churches. We will plant these churches in nursing homes, in local jails, in neighborhoods, in business spaces. The small churches that Pastor Barry and I saw in Africa, they were meeting weekly underneath a tree. They were meeting in public spaces in a small town. We already have people who are already ready to go, who are actually doing this in nursing homes. Someone's already actually approached me and said, hey, I want to help start one in our local jail. Our student ministry reached out to an apartment complex over this past summer when they did their bridge weekend, and they had a student-led VBS called Backyard Bible Club, and they met with a lot of parents and a lot of, and a lot of young kids in those apartment complexes. Could perhaps that be a place where a church could start because a burden that God puts on someone, someone's heart or a connection that God creates through us meeting a parent and being trained up and equipped for evangelism to share our faith? Or maybe through one of our prayer walks that we're going to do. Could God use a prayer walk to put a burden on someone's heart to say, I feel like God wants to do something here. And I just want to keep praying until I get clarity on that next step. I want to keep serving. Could it be through one of our service projects or our outreaches where God puts a burden on someone's heart? They get trained up. They get sent out. Next thing you know, they're, they're meeting somewhere in a park. They're meeting in a home. They're meeting in a public space or in a business. And God begins the beginnings of a church in that neighborhood or in that area where people can come to find and follow Jesus, where Christ-centered community can happen. That sounds very book of Acts to me. Amen? Amen. That sounds like we're getting back to the book of Acts. That sounds like we're restoring the call of the church back to what we read in the book of Acts. Going and sharing the gospel and making disciples, being in one another's homes, fellowshipping, connecting. That's what he's called us to do. It's getting clearer and clearer. Could churches start this way? Could a church be started because of a burden? Because of a prayer walk? Because of a relationship? Because of a connection? Absolutely. Could we build bridges and relationships within the special needs community by hosting the large event, A Night to Shine, which we're going to do in February? Our church is the uh, key head lead sponsor of this event. They reached over 1,500 people last year in the Quad Cities and is reaching the special needs community and connecting with them. Could there come some sort of gathering or church out of that? I, I think maybe it could. 
that God could use people of differing abilities in their families. Maybe there's struggles where they haven't been able to attend a church because maybe they're just afraid or because we can't accommodate them a certain way. Is there a way to minister to them and connect? Yeah, there is. Are we going to figure it out? Yeah. Is it going to be messy? Are we going to make mistakes? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Are we going to try to do our best to not to? Yeah. Are we going to trust the Holy Spirit the whole way? Yes. Are we going to depending on the leadership of God? Yes. The answer is yes, because Jesus made his call to his disciples clear. He brought them in closer, just as I want this morning, us as a church, to lean in closer to the heart of God. Because as we lean in closer to that heart of God, our calling gets clearer. Our identity gets clearer. We embrace that. And now it's time to say yes to the next step. It's time to say yes to the next thing God is calling us to do. And so I'm asking all of us to do this very, very important thing because this does not happen without this. And we cannot do this without this one thing. We have to be a church that prays. We have to be a church that prays. We pray here every Monday morning. The building is open from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then we have a gathering time online at 8.30 and here in the room where we have a little bit of worship and we pray over some more targeted specific things. It's come and go. I would invite you, if you can make it or join us online, pray. We're having a prayer walk come up next week, October 1st. We're going to go to two different places and pray in these cities. I want to invite you. Make that a priority. Pray. In your daily time with the Lord, pray. When you're driving around, pray. Look at these cities. Think about the people. Think about the fact that we know and we understand that we are in an area that is hostile towards the gospel. And we know that God has called us here for this time and this purpose. To be sowing seeds, to be salt, to be light. Amen? Join in those prayer times. And then here's the other thing I want to ask you to do as a church. I don't mean this in a fluffy way because I'm not a fluffy guy. I want you to dream. And what I mean by that is I want you to ask God to put dreams in your heart for what he can do. I want you to begin to dream and think what can God do through a church of people, a community of people who know who they are and whose they are. What can God do? A church with a passion, a church with a clarified focus and mission to be for these cities and for all people. This is who Bridge Cities Church is, a church with a rich history a rich history, and a bright future, a church that understands our role to be kingdom-minded, a church that says yes to the challenges and is motivated by a love for God and the Great Commission in our cities to get off of Barna's 2019 list of the number 15 of the most post-Christian cities in the United States, a church that is planting hundreds of these same types of churches in Africa, helping a pastor, Pastor Emmanuel, to see 4,500 churches, a church in every village, He calls the vision God's given him, Achieve, a church in every village everywhere. That's what that acronym stands for. A church in every village everywhere. And we're a part of that. We've committed to planting 100 churches, and I believe we're going to keep helping plant those churches. Our students are helping plant those churches. Our kids and our kids' ministry are helping plant those churches. Did you know that when our kids and our kids' ministry bring like an offering or something, that there's these little acrylic boxes that are being filled with marbles that are showing the kids how that money is going directly to help planting churches in Africa? We're getting that in the hearts of our children. Did you know that there's a group of young people in our church that was so motivated to want to do something for God that they're actually doing a bake sale to raise money for one of our local mission partners? And then they want to join in and pray over that mission? That's what God is doing in this church. 
Do you know that in the next service that three people are getting baptized because they have professed their faith in Jesus Christ and they want to go public with it? Do you know God is doing things here at BCC that he's moving in powerful ways? And so I want you to say yes to joining and being a part. Jesus followers, being people who will champion the gospel in their generation and in the next generation. Bigger than Sunday, bigger than Bettendorf, and beyond our lifetime. We are for these cities, and we are for all people. So will you pray? Will you dream? Will you say, yes, Lord, I am all in? Father, we commit this to you. We need you. We declare our dependence upon you. You are enough. You've been enough for us. And now we pray that others will see you are enough. Those that are wandering, searching. Those who are lost. Those who are in need of hope. Those who are broken. Those who have been misused and abused. Those who are weary. Those who are tired. Those who have been burned by religion. Those who have been burned by people in leadership that called themselves leaders and called themselves godly Christian influencers that have disappointed us, that have hurt us, that have frustrated us and caused our heart to get far away from wanting to gather. Lord, we pray you would heal those people. We pray, Lord, that we can walk in forgiveness, that we can serve that we can walk in unity, even in a culture that may challenge our very belief system. May we still see people the way you see people. May we still see people through the eyes of love and be patient with them. Love them right where they're at. May you bring a little bit more clarity to us today as a church. May you bring a little bit more clarity of who we are, whose we are, what we're called to do, and may we move forward in godly obedience to your word and to the leading and directing and guiding of your spirit in us. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.